Welcome to the Tom Nelson Podcast. This year, I was lucky enough to do 57 podcasts with a lot of very smart, independent thinkers on climate and energy. I had a really good time putting together clips into a 55-minute clip show. This features Richard Lindzen, Will Happer, Susan Crockford, Peter Ridd, Mark Morano, Tony Heller, and many other people. I hope you enjoy listening or watching as much as I enjoyed putting this together. They go to town with these crazy, crazy policies to get rid of CO2. We're now in the middle of that. We're giving the EPA the right to control CO2 by declaring it a pollutant. Think about that for a moment. Here is a pollutant. Let's say some genius comes up with a method. He's going to get rid of a little bit more than 60% of the CO2. And what will be the wonderful consequence of that? The death of all animals, because the plants have died, there's no food. What kind of pollutant is it? You get rid of it and you die. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> Everything has to conform to the idea that this demon molecule, CO2, is about to destroy the earth. I mean, it's the craziest thing I ever heard, because if you know anything about geological history, you realize CO2 levels are always fluctuated up and down by huge amounts. What we're seeing now is trivial compared to what we've seen in the past, and even day to day. What caused the warming since 1975? I think it's all natural. I think yeah. large percentage, 99% is all natural. This CO2 stuff is a delusion. It's pure delusion. You cannot find any signature of that. The proxy measures for a period where you've got proxy data and the temperature data, they don't match at all. There's no reason to think these proxies are telling you anything at all about temperatures because you can plot the two on a chart and one's going down and one's going up. So what makes you think that the same proxy data is informative for what happened in the 1400s or the 1200s? It's useless today. So why would it be informative back then? Well, they came up with all kinds of ad hoc explanations. The fact they had to throw out most of the data should tell you these proxies aren't very good quality. This is the coral cover, and you can see that at the moment we're at record high coral cover. So despite supposedly massive bleaching events in 2016, yeah. 2017, 2020, and 2022, here we are sitting at record high coral cover. So it basically blows away any proposition mm -hmm that those bleaching events, which people right around the world have been told about, have killed a significant amount of coral. Habitat that both seals and polar bears use is that first year ice that freezes and melts every year. Yeah. It's not the really thick ice in the middle of the Arctic. Yeah. But when you have less ice in the summer, there's more sunlight comes in. You get more phytoplankton in the water that produces more food for the fish more fish for the seals, better fed that the seals are, the more productive they are, they give birth to healthier pups, more pups and healthier pups, which okay. means there's more food for the bears. And so it really looks like in those areas of the world, say north of the Bering Sea, in the Chukchi Sea, and in the Barents Sea, particularly, that those are areas that have had a fairly dramatic decline in summer sea ice but have also had a really large increase in this primary productivity. And to my mind, that explains why the bears are doing so well. It means that it's because in the spring, when they do most of their hunting and feeding, there are lots of seals for them to feed on. Historical data is really the key to it. Like young people 
they're being told that we didn't used to get hurricanes, we didn't used to get tornadoes or floods, typhoons. They don't have any way of knowing that that isn't true because schools won't, don't teach history anymore or they don't teach any real history. When I was in high school, we Grapes of Wrath was mandatory reading, uh, Steinbeck's accounts of the mm -hmm. Dust Bowl. They don't do that anymore. If, if they just read that one book, they would know that this has all happened in the past. So it's very easy for them to propagandize young people. So the more information we can get to young people in particular about history, I think that's really the key thing. The interesting thing is that when you see uh, the changes in climate uh, over the last 500 million years, uh, then we have periods where we are in a gla glacial period. We have periods where it's very warm. And an Israeli physicist, Professor Nir Shaviv, yes. he actually noticed that this fit very beautifully with the solar system passing through spiral arms. So when we are in a spiral arm, there's more cosmic rays because we have more star formation in these regions. We have more cosmic rays and it's actually colder uh, on Earth. So uh, there's a beautiful correlation between this movement around uh, the galactic center. It's also interesting from another perspective because it's a completely independent way of checking whether this mechanism is working uh, because solar activity has nothing to do with the uh, supernovas. It's just a modulation of the cosmic rays that are present on a timescale of thousands of years uh, down to days. Whereas with respect to the supernovas, we are talking about the changes over millions of years, which has nothing to do with solar activity. So we see this beautiful correlation over these long timescales. You can do the calculation for each individual country. Britain, for instance, represents 1% of total sins of emission, let's call it, and therefore 1% of three-eighths of a Celsius degree, that's three-eight-hundredths of a Celsius degree, which is less than a two-hundred-and-fiftieth of a Celsius degree, is what we would forestall. And then all you have to do is find out from, in this case, McKinsey's Consulting, how much would that cost you? And to get that less than one two-hundred-and-fiftieth of a degree of warming forestalled, it would be four trillion. And that's all you need to know, four trillion before the prices started going up, eight to twelve trillion now. The calculation is as simple and irrefutably robust as that. So how do we then get this into the news media? At the moment, the answer is you don't, because the news media sold out to climate communism years ago. I really don't understand the psychology behind this climate idiocy. These people are really extremists. They're very scary. There's nothing they want to do that's going to improve your life or make you wealthier or make you freer, everything they want to do is going to degrade your standard of living uh, if they're not just threatening your freedom. When Bernie Sanders was running for president, he wanted to put climate skeptics in jail. He wanted to bring them to justice, his words. Study the matter, think about both sides, but at the end of it, don't let anybody shut you up with a piece of paper. Thinking that we can power the world's greatest economy on solar panels and wind turbines has always been ridiculous. You still have a clown like Michael Mann who's getting awards, who's getting payoffs, he's getting grants, etc. He's a hero, even though he's a total clown. He's been wrong almost how many more times than he's been right. We have this layer of models, all of which are based on other models of the data that go into these climate models. And so we cannot be as certain of this whole as we are of any one of these claims. So 
In fact, we shouldn't be certain of anything that they're saying about climate change. The probability of any of this stuff based on conditional on all this chain mm -hmm. of events is extremely low. But we need to get people to understand that's how it works. We have this chain of model after model after model. Models just feed into other models. And it's a load of nonsense. <laughs> the whole idea of abiotic oil, the chemistry of oil is very well understood. And it can be made synthetically, and it's made in the mantle of the Earth. There's hydrocarbons all through our solar system. Titan, which is one of the moons of Saturn, is predominantly methane, and its whole atmosphere is methane. You'll find hydrocarbons commonly in the solar system. And if you look beyond it, you'll find them as well. You see a lot of temperature stations that started in the countryside, and then as the city expanded, the measurement station did not move. And so you get a warming effect because of the city encroachment. We've been finding problems with what's called the urbanization bias problem. Basically, what we're finding is that the UN IPCC and a lot of papers have prematurely concluded that it's a real thing, but a small problem. And it's only a minor problem. Our work was showing that it's not a minor problem. In fact, a number of papers increasingly are coming around to that conclusion. It's very easy to produce energy. It's very difficult to get it on time when it's necessary to meet demand. The purpose of propaganda ultimately is to not have an argument. Okay, that the propaganda is not to persuade you, it's to dissuade you, to sway you away from the conversation. And one way to do it is all the scientists say, yes. you know, yeah. the hockey stick is settled, and, you know, things of that sort. That is a clear sign that you're dealing with propaganda. And climate change, I think the science has become secondary to the political narrative. It's very obvious to me. And this to me is just another form of propaganda. And I think it needs to be exposed. Wind and solar are just intermittent, dilute, parasitic sources of energy or electricity. And electric vehicles are just for the rich. China manufactures around 70% of all solar. And of course, they do it with slave labor. Children provide 40% of the labor to mine cobalt in Congo. I love fossil fuels, just like Alex Epstein. And I know for sure that fossil fuels are going to save Africans. If you want to stop using fertilizer because you're worried about this nitrous oxide, that basically means your agricultural yields are going to go down by a factor of four or so. This is a huge decrease in world food production. And are you really going to do that when the temperature rise because of this fertilizer use is less than a tenth of a degree per century. This strikes me as rather silly. We're, after all, in a warming period in an ice age. Why do we know we're in an ice age? We have ice on the polar caps. It's a pretty simple definition. I go back in the book and to Woodrow Wilson's presidency, the idea of the administrative state. This is the uh, educated elite from the top universities who believe that we're the unwashed masses. And if we, the public, are left to our own devices, not just in the U.S., but anywhere in the world, we will create inequity, racism, white supremacy, environmental destruction, a climate crisis, that we have to have every aspect of our lives managed in order to avoid that. Any analysis you do that good 110 years away for economic development and technology change. It's garbage. The greatest threat to humanity is doing stupid things to resolve the problems that climate change would create, whatever they might be. Let's face it, there is no empirical evidence that any anything bad is happening because of climate change. There's no such thing as a wind farm. The only thing that's farmed is subsidies. 
But why did they come up with that? Well, they made that phrase up very specifically. They knew they were going to inject an industrial complex in the middle of a rural area. And they knew very well from the get-go that this would not go over well with rural people, have this industrial thing in there. So they said, we need to market this so that it seems like uh, something that it isn't. So that's how they come up with the phrase wind farm. And the idea is that that terminology gives the impression that this industrial complex is benign, beneficial, whatever. My advice to people is be careful of the terminology used because every time somebody says wind farm, they are effectively endorsing the ideology here by giving some credence to that. So I have completely scrubbed that from my vocabulary. I say wind project or industrial wind project or wind facility, some other phrase like that. At no time will I be using wind blank. Back in the medieval warm period, my Viking ancestors farmed on Greenland. Uh, they buried their dead in what is now concrete, hard permafrost to take a jackhammer to bury your, your dead people in. There's plant roots and tree roots in the, the permafrost. The place was green and it was warmer. I began to educate myself by reading technical papers and books and soon realized not just that man-made global warming is a fraud of epic proportions, but that it is being used to subvert, discredit, and corrupt science itself. This realization is what prompted me to write my book. Control, coercion, and intolerance are what ideologies are all about. What if you don't agree? Bad news. Ideologies don't tolerate dissent. Dare to disagree anyway? Well, then you will be subjected to coercion, threats, abuse, or worse. If you're not for us, you're against us. So join or suffer the consequences. Ideology is about blind faith. Questioning it is verboten. Since ideology is about strict conformity and consensus, intolerance for dissent is a litmus test. Anyone who demonizes, persecutes, or intimidates skeptics, non-adherents, or non-believers, or who tries to stifle or eliminate their dissenting opinions is part of an ideology. You have to be a denier of the temperature record of the earth to say that we are too warm now, if you're interested in what life likes because ice is the enemy of life. We need people to understand that, that warmth is the friend of life. And that leads to one of my main uh, principles, which is to recognize that the human species is a tropical species. We evolved at the equator. There is no question of that. And the only reason we could eventually come out of Africa into climates that were colder in the winter was because of fire, shelter, and clothing things which other species don't have the advantage of. And therefore, most tropical species cannot come out of Africa because they would die of the cold. Like there's many, many plants that can't even live below five degrees Celsius. They die then because it's too cold for them. But the only place in the world that is really too hot are the dry deserts. And they are not actually at the equator. The equator is largely moist and not as hot as the hot deserts are, like the Sahara, for example, is not at the equator. It's way north of it. And those areas are uninhabitable to most life, never mind humans. But we learn to live there 
You got Phil Jones as the lead author for that section of the IPCC report where they're going to rely heavily on a data set constructed by Phil Jones. And they're asking Phil Jones to review the comments of critics of the work of Phil Jones. And then you wonder how that's going to play out. Well, Phil Jones comes out on top. The climate monster is trying to eat plastics as well. But uh, I happen to love plastics. I think they're one of the greatest inventions of humanity ever made. And of course, they're under attack by a bunch of idiots who don't have any grasp of the magnitude of the unbelievably huge thing it is to have invented a new material that did not exist on the entire planet and may not exist anywhere that we know of, which is as useful as the one, more useful than all of the materials we were given on Earth combined. That's like, and you want to ban them. Why? Because you're idiots. You might wake up early on a Saturday morning desperately need a plumber, but you will never wake up on a Saturday morning desperately needing a, a sociologist. It's a scam. The whole thing is a scam. And yeah, we're not afraid to say. Using that word denier about the climate, that is so disrespectful. Because it is. It's connotations to the Holocaust. It really, really makes me angry. This whole green agenda has all of the negatives about, I'd say, medieval organised religion but none of the positives. It really is a cult. What was interesting was how the narrative got accepted because there was so much idiocy in the narrative, so many things that were wrong, so many assumptions that were questionable that people immediately started attacking them, including myself. I mean, you know, with the greenhouse and the radiative forcing and the feedbacks and all these things. And... I don't think any of us realized that in attacking these things, we're accepting the narrative. People who just want to dismantle capitalism because they want to rely on the government or people that have their own political aspirations or goals. I can't take anybody seriously like that. That's cult behavior. And I see a lot of this with these people. They treat it like religion and they have motives that aren't based on any science at all. That's a perfect segue to climate policy because you'll notice that everything that's demanded is pretty much what's been demanded in the name of everything and is again in the name of other things like COVID or whatever. It just happens to be what we've always wanted. And it just, we get impatient or certain people do and they move back to this, do what I want or everyone dies shit, which is not a sign of a movement competent mm -hmm. in its argument or that it will withstand the test of time. It's, it reflects in my mind a fear that what we've experienced will be experienced, that the sky will remain exactly where we left it for 30 years, even as they scream, it's falling, don't turn around, no time for details, sign here, details to follow. The witch burning thing, I don't think you can emphasize enough. It's a very uneven fight. It's a sort of David and Goliath fight we're in, isn't it? The climate industrial complex has the whole of the mainstream media on its side, all the politicians, the scientists and the administrators who run the institutions and who are fed the funding streams on condition that the right kind of message comes back in these academic institutions that confirm what the politicians want to hear. This is how we end up with policy-based evidence rather than evidence-based yes. policy. This is a, a serious concern because of the direction that it's leading science itself into disrepute. And this is a real big hobby horse of mine. The green movement pretty much would not exist without the uh, benevolence of about half a dozen, maybe a dozen philanthropic foundations and it's just an enormous amount of money so the greens are very keen on claiming that we independent people like you and i who get no money from doing this whatsoever are funded by big oil and then it turns out actually there are figures like jeff bezos has just given 10 billion 
in fund category and organizations. That's a pretty wow. huge amount of money. And then Mike Bloomberg in his history has spent 11 billion on philanthropy. I can make a, a fun example. There's one speaker there called Christine Liggett, which she was supposed to be representing the youth. I represent the youth. The youth, okay. And in the question and answer session, how do you know you represent the youth? Uh, how do you know that? And she says, I don't. <laughs> okay. Yes, of life. With no carbon dioxide, there'd be no plants, and plants are at the bottom of the food chain for every single living thing. Everything depends on plants for food. Now, there are geologists who are concerned about the level of carbon dioxide has got very low. When we go into the ice ages, the level of carbon dioxide drops down to 180 parts per million. At 150 parts per million, plants can't grow, they die. So during the ice ages, we come very close to this red line of death, as they call it. But by burning fossil fuels, we've been able to raise it up to where it is today. And plants, plants have liked that because we've had greening of the earth. Agriculture production is up anywhere between 15 and 20% because of the increased carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The last interglacial was called the Eemian, and the Eemian was four degrees warmer than this interglacial, so six degrees warmer than now, 130,000 years ago, when humans were well around and presumably hunter-gathering happily, just like they always had been, till they learned how to farm, put wheels on things. The Earth warmed up for 7,000 years. Above 35 degrees of latitude, north or south, the amount of energy you need for a solar panel to be built, manufactured, mined, etc., is greater than the total amount of energy that solar panel will produce through 25 years of life span. Mike's Nature Trek was about the, the tree ring showed cooling after 1960 when the uh, actual thermometer showed warming. So th the story we're told is that Trees are thermometers, except after 1960, they stopped being thermometers. Do you think that's completely insane? Because I do. The whole idea that trees were thermometers up till 1960, then they're not. What do you think about that? Isn't that don't pretty embarrassing? The prosperity of your nation depends on how much energy each individual can deploy. So the more cheap, plentiful energy you have, the better off you are and the freer you are and the more individual determination you have. It's as simple as that. Energy is life. Importantly, the supply is in particular to the environment because the more wealth a nation has, the more disposable wealth it has, if you like, above the Maslow's hierarchy of food and shelter and safety, then, well, let's get to safety. Flood defences, bomb shelters, whatever you want. If you can adapt to nature far better and you can clean up any mess you made while you were getting to if you are wealthy. You read all this hype of that renewable energy is going to replace fossil fuels. Well, there's two important facts you got to remember. That fossil fuels is totally useless unless it's manufactured into something usable. And when it goes through a refinery and gets uh, heated and cracked, it, it makes a lot of oil derivatives that accounts for 6,000 products in our daily lives that we did not have before 1900. Mm -hmm. and the fuels for all the different infrastructures we have. Renewable energy, i.e. wind and solar, can only generate intermittent electricity. 
from breezes and sunshine. Wind and solar can manufacture absolutely nothing for society. So until we find a clone to crude oil, there's no way to replace the derivatives that makes all the products in our daily lives. I went behind the green bay's door and I found nothing but morons. The average politician in a democracy is utterly hopeless. They have no life experience at all. They've never done a real job. They haven't even been a cab driver or a barman. I'm sure your average cab driver is much brighter than your average politician. People go into politics because they're widows. They're very odd people indeed. And I found out very odd they are. And if that is the group thing, if climate emergency yeah. is the group thing and coming outside the pack, they associate with the pack. They don't associate with Galileo or Nicholas Copernicus or Albert Einstein. They don't think like that. They want to be in the herd because being the herd for a politician, the herd is the safest place because they're bovines. So you don't get any critical thinking. And critical thinking isn't discussed in our school system or educational system at all. We are not trained in a platonic or Socratic way that we should question things. Just a minute, why did you say that? Why did the chemistry master or the biology master say, we've got to reduce our carbon footprint in a class? Why doesn't everybody say, why? I have a little CO2 meter and just out of curiosity, one week last summer, I monitored CO2 levels in my, my backyard for okay. a week. Okay. <laughs> and I got up at, you know, three or four in the morning. On a calm day, you know, in my backyard, the CO2 levels by two or three in the afternoon, about this time, were typically down to 300 parts per million. By dawn the next day, again, if it was the home day with not much wind to stir things up, by dawn the next day, it was 500, you know? And so really? it by 200 parts per million, you know, between two o'clock and, and six o'clock. <laughs> COP26 was the biggest gravy train I've ever seen. Everyone there was at the trough. I genuinely don't think that anyone who's there who's got half a brain actually believes any of this stuff. Because they can't, can they? Because the, the science just doesn't back it up. They still defend it to the death. You still can't criticise the hockey stick. They still won't admit that it was a farce. It's absolutely yeah. amazing and destroys your whole confidence in institutional science in a way. It is still selling the book. I think that's because people just go, my God, institutional science is corrupt it is and it's rather scary yeah that was a huge eye-opener for me this whole story to see how we can't trust science because i did believe in the climate scam at first i'm happy to have martin durkin here the director of the 2007 documentary great global warming swindle i'd really like to remake it because i i think i i underestimated quite the forces that we're up against. I've got to, I have to get round to, I think crowdfunding it. I'll have to, I'll have to do or ask some organizations whether they want to chip in. Are you poised that you could do this in the next year if you had funding? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I've given up my old job in December. So I've been writing a book since then. And the difficulty with writing a book is you're just sat there surrounded by all this nonsense oh. the whole time and you get sort of itchy to get out and make stuff. So this would be a great relief to get out and make a film. So yeah, eager to do it. This is the subject of my book, a kind of secret class, an entire social class that we haven't really identified properly, but exists and in, in fact is, I think, can more or less be defined as the ruling class. And it hasn't got a name, although some people in the past have called it the new class. An entire class was created there, university educated, that identified itself with the state 
was brought into being directly or indirectly by the expansion of state regulation. Its wages were coming directly or indirectly from the state. So we thought the state was a good thing. State regulation was a good thing. Higher taxes were a good thing. And this is, if you like, the class that is dominates the civil service, dominates the media, dominates the universities, dominates teaching, dominates publicly funded science. And for it, capitalism is a wicked thing, not really because it does down the workers, but because it needs to be controlled by them. It needs to be regulated by them. It needs to be taxed by them. So I think that is the monster that we're dealing with. If we wanted to characterize the word communism by one word, that word is deception. So communists, basically, they, and dictators generally, they will never disclose their real attentions. They will come under different names, different phrases maybe, but especially different names. Dictator always focus on altruistic people, people with big hearts, full of good attentions, who believe in doing good for goodness sake. Why? Because those people are usually naive and easy to manipulate, especially via their emotions. Recognizing how essential these people are to, to the success of his uh, revolution, Lenin referred to them as a useful idiots. Those are people who are prone to believe in social justice narrative and doing something for greater good. Well, I would like to also mention something what calls collective guilt. A few years ago, I was listening to an interview with German scientists who said that renewables have only 8% efficiency in producing energy. And when he was asked why Germans agree with this investment, he explained that their politicians are using collective guilt card, proclaiming that Germany has to leave this battle for saving planet because they cause harm to humanity in the past. He was referring to Nazism. I was shocked. I said, bastards, this is really bad. Really, really bad. So we have not only something like greater or collective good, it can have also collective guilt. It was a, a tragic mistake to give the issue to the United Nations in the first place because a, a more bungling organization has never been invented in the history of the earth. They are like a wonder of the earth because they're like the, the black hole of incompetence or actually malevolence, really. Really, I think the big lies of climate change are coming to an end. I read somewhere, supposedly a leak of the next IPCC report has them confessing that their models were 80% basically too hot. The, the actual trend is one-fifth of what the models were predicting over the time since the IPCC has been in existence. Now, I can't figure out whether they're putting that out and that this might be the last IPCC report. I don't know whether they're doing that as a way of saying we have to get out of this before everything crashes. I don't believe modeling is science. Science is empirical. It stops at the point where it stops being empirical. So if you can't measure it and you can't test it and you can't repeat it, you can't apply the scientific method to it, and it's not science. Interpol put out a report in 2013 saying that the carbon trading market, it's a guide to carbon trading crime. And they, they found that it was an extremely dangerous sector to trade in because you're really dealing in the lack of delivery of an invisible substance to no one. So yeah, that's not shady at all.
people are very Suzukified in Canada. That's what I like to call it. So yeah, there's a very strong element in Canadian society and Canadian academia that is totally on board with the climate catastrophe thinking. On the other hand, there's also a very strong resource sector, mining, energy, agriculture, <clears throat> forestry. Most of those people are far more hands-on, practical, realist people who say, well, I don't know how you're going to run your city if you don't have oil, gas, or coal, because you can't make your wind turbines without them. You can't make your solar panels without them, and you can't run your wind and solar on the grid without them. So what kind of unicorn do you have in the garage? Because it's just not going to work the way you think it is. It seems to me what has happened today is we've been sold a bill of goods by people that say you don't have to have the storm that there should be no storms, and that every day in climate should be a high of 75, a low of 58. Um, let's see, it doesn't rain except from three to five in the morning, just enough to water your garden and make sure your unicorns have grass to chew on. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. We used to have a time when the government would announce few hours of electricity supply. So you get electricity supply only though, during those hours. Now there is a turnaround where you have only a few hours of electricity disruption. Things have changed a lot. And one of the reasons is India's strong policy to utilize the coal reserves in the country and build more coal plants and use them. So we had two decades of coal proliferation. And there's a strong correlation with that and the development of the GDP and the economy and people's livelihood. So there's a direct link and it's pretty straightforward when a household or a community or a city or a town has reliable energy access, everything else will follow. The economy will build and there'll be manufacturing. People will be using electricity for important tasks, like even for students to read information through digital media, even TV and radio, even like simple things. And for farmers, as I said, they use a lot of different things that require electricity. The strong relationship between the rise and fall of temperature and the rise and fall of civilizations and empires. And we look, looking back through human history, there were three other, we're in a warming trend. Okay, let's start with that. It's been warming for over 300 years. The first 250 years had to be entirely naturally driven before we started adding much CO2 in the mid 20th century in that post-World War II economic boom. So we've been warming for 300 years and we're in a warming trend. Okay, good. What happened, there were three other warming trends dating back to the first great civilizations that was known as the, as the, the Bronze Age, the Minoan warm period. The first great civilizations rose up, the Minoans, the Hittites, the Babylonians, these great empires in this really warm period. Life was good, food was bountiful. And then it started getting cold. And that led, led to what was called the late Bronze Age collapse. All of those civilizations and empires collapsed together. And that led to this many centuries of the Greek Dark Ages. And it really didn't improve for humanity until it warmed up again during the Roman warm period. And again, so we see a strong relationship between these really warm periods and beneficial aspects to humanity and crop growth. There's a special place in hell for people who know that evil is going on and they stay silent. The first incident was already in 92 to 94. It took us two years to try to get a paper argue because we have found some very strong evidence that the sun like stars can vary by very large amount. 
Unfortunately, it's as early as that. It was already trying to kind of censor everything. Two years to get a very beautiful paper published is just crazy. I'm a Michael Mann scholar, so you can consider me a professional scholar of Michael Mann. Because not only his scientific things are flawed, his personal level is very, very disgusting too. This is why no, no longer that he can really still have the conscience to support this nonsense of a hockey stick history, right? It's a complete nonsense, actually. I am not, not one of those who basically want to simplify things. I, I know what the problem is. Climate is a very complicated subject. Any fool who tried to say that they understand climate, please come. I want to discuss climate with you because I really, I, I want to push all the way. I know that the science of climatology is so weak. We don't understand a lot of things, right? I don't have to lie, I don't have to cheat, I don't have to look beautiful. I just have to do the work. Now, the National Academy of Science is junk, right? Now, now you have Michael Mann in, totally stained the whole damn place. In fact, it smells so bad. You guys are just an embarrassment to sign. You see, I say that very seriously on that one, joking aside, because you know what? They don't stand for science at all. They did nothing for science. So I wanted to say that the National Academy of Science is a disgrace to science itself. They don't protect science. They don't protect anything. All the cool period have volcanic eruption, and they all probably related to the sun weakening. Once you go earlier than the year 1700, the hockey stick had no information in it. I just became kind of cynical about all of those papers that came out. I can understand how you can generate these hockey stick handles. It's more the error bars they put around them. It's very difficult to do correctly those kinds of error bars. And most of the mistakes that you can make in regression analysis lead to underestimating the uncertainties. Once you start to fix some of these, what you end up with is you might still have a hockey stick shape, but you have error bars that basically go from minus infinity to plus infinity. And so what the data is really telling you is you just don't have information that far back. The adjustments account for all the warming. When you look at the post-1960 US record, the adjustments are as large as the warming itself. I'm quite sympathetic if people just want to dismiss the, uh, the adjusted temperature record as being the product of a process where people put their thumb on the scale to get a certain result. We regularly have three weeks in winter with neither wind nor sun, to, you know, so that we'll get 2% of capability out of all the renewables at a time when our demand is at a peak. In this country, the largest pump storage is a, is a place called Dinevig in Wales, and it has nine gigawatt hours capacity if you run the whole lake uh, hold water from up, down, below. You can generate nine gigawatt hours. That is enough to charge up about 0.7% of the UK car fleet if all the batteries are small. That's just 60 kilowatt hour batteries. And it would run the whole UK for about 10 minutes in winter and 15 minutes in summer. If the UK vehicle fleet went electric tomorrow, we'd need over 200,000 tonnes of cobalt for the batteries and the engines. And... This is about double the annual production of the world at the moment. We'd need 264,000 tonnes of lithium carbonate, 75% of the world's production, at least 720 tonnes of neodymium, nearly the entire world production. Life likes it best where there is no frost. It is clear to me that our emissions of CO2 are entirely beneficial and there is nothing wrong about them. And to call them pollution is a travesty of science. It, it, it is so ridiculous. What's the optimum CO2 level for life? I would say it's between 1500 and 2000 ppm.
the whole idea that it is going to get too hot if it goes up a degree or two or even three is so completely ridiculous. It will have an effect if the temperature goes up, but it will have a far worse effect if the temperature goes down. It's only come up about 1.5 Celsius at the most since the peak of the Little Ice Age, or nadir, as you would call the bottom of a cycle. It was miserable cold in Europe in the Little Ice Age, only 300 years ago. Earth's global average surface temperature varies 3.8 degrees C every year. The high temperature is in July and the low temperature in January. Earth's average surface temperature is about 14 and a half degrees C, which is cold by geological standards. Certainly the idea that two degrees of global warming is dangerous is absurd. The existence of very different past climates on Earth creates an insurmountable problem for modern consensus climatology. During the last glacial maximum 20,000 years ago, the energy received from the sun was the same as now. Not only that, but the Milankovitch orbital parameters were also nearly the same. There is still controversy about tropical temperatures during the last glacial maximum, but it appears they were only one or two degrees colder than today. This is consistent with evidence presented by Chris Scotis and colleagues that tropical temperatures have not changed much over the course of the last 540 million years, despite huge changes in the average temperature of the planet, 9 to 30 degrees C. Solar activity affects Earth's climate, but the correlation changes with time. It is sometimes positive, that is, Earth warms with increasing solar activity, and sometimes Earth cools with increasing solar activity. The switches appear to occur every 80 to 120 years. The climate-solar correlation changes suggest that the solar effect on climate is not directly due to changes in solar radiation like the IPCC proposes, but to solar-induced changes to large atmospheric processes that are being neglected. Skepticism, reason discourse, and respectful debate are the very heart and soul of science because science is about truth. Skeptics and non-believers are crucial to our survival as a species. The entree arrives in 1989. The same year communism collapsed in the Soviet bloc. The strategy of subverting environmentalism to advance socialism was now officially adopted by the US Green Party. How can an eco-socialist sabotage the petroleum industry? Well, by demonizing them as polluters. Nothing new there. But wait, this time the pollution isn't from oil spills, it's from a byproduct. Since fossil fuels are composed of hydrocarbons, Burning them produces carbon dioxide and water. Label one of these byproducts a pollutant, and voila, mission accomplished. Rural U.S. were finding it was about as warm in the 30s, 40s as present. About science for me is multidisciplinary. It's not one subject. But over the last few decades, what's happened is that scientists, when you train as a scientist, you're encouraged to specialize and continually specialize and find your niche topic that you are going to be the expert on. 
And then you can talk about that one thing and you know everything there is to know about this. And of course, the, the old saying is you learn more and more about less and less until eventually you know everything there is to know about nothing at all. So they have two natural forcings and they've about two dozen anthropogenic forcings. I've seen how people can fall for their own models. And I think a lot of that is happening over here. Zero is a very pro-climate change newspaper, but they're funded by Qatar. It gets most of its energy from gas. Why? Because it's convincing the Westerners to not go for their own gas resources. And then basically they get the other side of the market. And you see this over and over again. It turns out that the atmosphere isn't going in these circular cells at all. Instead, the atmosphere acts like a giant pendulum. When the whole atmosphere, from top to bottom, flows in one direction and then turns around and flows back in the other direction. And it oscillates back and forth like that for three, five, six or days. It goes in one direction and then comes back again. Why does it do this? Well, nobody has considered it to now. This is new, that this is what the atmosphere does. I even in the last month or two, there have been people going and publishing papers about how the Farrell cells are moving north or how the Hadley cells are moving relative to each other. They don't exist. The Hadley cells aren't there. I think once we understand this pendulum effect of the atmosphere, our ability to predict the weather is going to come on and leave some bounds. If we can find out what's causing these pendulum swifts back and forth. There was a study put out by Wickham in 2013, and they found that 34% of the long-term weather stations with over 70 years of data had cooling trends. 31 of the 48 states have record high temperatures before the 1940s. I think we're going to see Arctic sea ice start to return by 2030 because these oscillations are going back to their cool periods. And if that's true, and I hope I live to see it, um, that should shatter all this climate catastrophe. Moisture has a lot to do with it. So I think sometimes they conflate a higher temperature with higher sensitivity to CO2 when it could be a higher temperature due to less clouds causing greater solar heating due to drier land. It takes twice as much energy to heat moist soil as it does dry soil. If you get a drought due to La Nina, you can have dry conditions and with no change in energy from CO2 or the sun, you'll see temperatures go up. Science is being very systematically and aggressively attacked. Despite all the uh, Americans thinking highly of science, there's another fact, and that is that 95 plus percent of Americans have no idea what science actually is. So on the one hand, they're supportive of it, but on the other hand, they don't really understand it. But the ultimate fight we're having on our society here is between real science and political science. In the next 30 years, the global warming probably will be last thing in our mind because it will be many ice age, which will require a lot of heating because it will be cold. What was your sense in the scientific community around 85 or 86? Yeah, at that time, I think there were a lot more open minds than you have now. But over time, they saw that the way to get an empire, make it grow, et cetera, et cetera, was you have to say your catechism and so on and so forth, which is 
which means the world will end unless you do something about climate change. Part of the problem is that they get to fiddle with the data. As long as you get to fiddle with the data, you can make it show anything you want. This is an indication that a supernova quite close to the Earth went off about 2.8 million years ago. This 2.8 million years sides with a large climate change in Africa where the climate changed in such a way that the jungle changed into savanna. And it's believed that uh, this climate change had a big effect on uh, human evolution. I even heard a story about a big climate institution where the director said he thought that cosmic rays and clouds were really interesting, but they couldn't do any research in it because it would send the wrong medical signals. Since 2017, we have not had funding to do experiments. Trying to get funding so we can get an extra person to work on the experiments and to work with me. And if you had the funding right now, would you be ready to start working pretty soon on it? I, I could start now. <laughs> I could start tomorrow. So I, I have an application in, and I've had a number of applications in, but they are all rejected. You have to contend with this weird stuff where on one hand the whole greenhouse thing is so simple you can teach it to children in elementary school and on the other hand it's so complex that only people with very high level training can speak about it there are some people that i knew from the old days when i was associated with the big models and i had a lot of respect for them because they did this stuff, but they also knew what the limitations were because they were involved in building it was inside the model. So they they were like people who owned a car who actually knew how to change the spark plugs and change the oil. They knew what was inside. But I think there's a, a, a whole spectrum of people, and the majority of them are this side of it, where they've never really looked in the hood. And... Um, for all they know, that the car is run on hamster wheels with lots of hamsters. They don't know anything about it. And I think a lot of people tend to defend these things as a, not as a scientific thing, but as a, that's our team says that. And and so it must be good. And they think that the output of these climate models is are not just some kind of a cartoon output. They're future observations. Will Happer was very generous with his time. One of my favorite episodes when he was uh, briefly with the Trump administration, the New York Times, I think it was, wrote a story saying, oh, well, he's not a climate scientist. I looked and it was written by people with degrees in English. And there's Happer, who's a, an atmospheric physicist. And I thought, these people don't even know what disciplines are relevant to the question of how the climate works? And yet they speak with such indignant and condescending certainty, you know, brushing Will Happer aside. Well, you know, good luck with that. If you don't understand why someone disagrees with you, you don't understand your own argument properly. So the alarmist should welcome the skeptical critique. This particular panic is actually past its sell date and is going to fall apart fairly soon. And something else will come along. It's accounting fraud. It's not rocket science. It's accounting fraud. We just need to highlight this is accounting fraud and, and keep repeating it until people get, hold on, yeah, this is accounting fraud. And in court, they cannot escape by saying, oh, you're not an expert. Blah, blah. Like in court, you show the accounting fraud for what it is. And there's no escaping. Bill Gates, America's single largest farmland owner, his stated public goal repeatedly is no one in the Western nation should ever eat farm-grown agricultural meat again. He's investing billions in lab-grown meat uh, that is going to they get stem cells from a cow or sheep and fetal blood, and then they put it 
in a lab and let it grow into this amorphous blob with no immune system. It's got to be pumped with antibiotics. And then they add texture and dye, and then they get a 3D printer. I'm not making any of this up. The World Economic Forum brags that you can print several kilograms an hour of meat from this sort of goo that they're going to make in the lab that they're growing. And this is how you end meat eating. From my perspective, peer review is censorship. Now, Galileo, the, considered the father of modern science, failed re peer review so completely he was given house arrest for the balance of his life. Peer review can be used also by incumbents to protect their own research and funding and who are afraid of contrary and competing views. This is just a huge moneymaker for a lot of their donors and a lot of these industries who support the Republican Party. So they, in turn, are supporting it as well. You see less enthusiasm in the House, but definitely the GOP Senate is on board with the climate change movement. It's very easy for your typical suburban mom to say, yeah, I believe in global warming and climate change, and I want to do this and that. And then all of a sudden, they start fulfilling the fantasies of the climate cabal that they've wanted for over 50 years. Then all of a sudden, they go, well, whoa, I don't like my gas prices quadrupling in a matter of a year, 18 months. I don't want to be forced to buy an electric car. The climate people have never apologized for all the lies that they've told, told all their fabricated doctored data, all the predictions of doom and gloom that they made that never came to fruition. The government is, of course, very interested in this problem, and they're spending billions of dollars on it. And that's never seen as a conflict of interest, strangely, but any money you take from a private group is a definite conflict of interest in the minds of these people. Woke Inc. is about installing groupthink into corporations, and that's very much in play in climate science as well, and definitely in higher ed. Higher ed is seeing very strong emphasis on that of groupthink. The spearhead for the attack on science, the real tip of the spear is climate science. Climate science was attacked first. And that occurred 30 years ago. They were selling a narrative. So they built the models around CO2 influence being high. Clouds are going to have a very big perturbation on your climate. And they are going to reduce the forcing of CO2 quite significantly. When you have more CO2 in the atmosphere, the stomata, the holes in the leaves through which the CO2 is absorbed into the plant, they shrink. Why is that important? Well, if the stomata gets smaller, then the water loss from the plant leaf is less. So a plant can grow with less water. And this is particularly important if you're in the dry regions of the earth. And this effect has already been observed. A surprise happened. From 2000 to about 2016, temperatures leveled off. This was completely unexpected. The global Climate models did not predict this. People said, what caused this hiatus? We still don't know. You may be thinking you're helping the planet by having all these climate regulations, but you may inadvertently be doing exactly the opposite. In the U.S., about 20,000 people die from heat every year, but 170,000 die from cold. And worldwide, cold kills nine times more people compared to heat.